Let me, as you turn in your Bibles, as the offering goes through, let me read to you something I received via email. It says, once upon a time in the kingdom of heaven, God was missing for six days. And then eventually, Michael the archangel found him resting on the seventh day. He inquired of God, where have you been, Lord? Well, God sighed a big, deep sigh of satisfaction and proudly pointed downward through the clouds. Look, Michael, look what I've made. It's going to be the place of great balance. Balance, inquired Michael, still confused. Well, God explained, pointing to different parts of the earth. Look, for example, northern Europe will be a place of great opportunity and wealth, while southern Europe is going to be poor. The Middle East will be a hot spot, while other places in the world will be places of peace. And over there, I've placed a continent of white people, while on this other continent, there are black people. God continued pointing to different countries. This one will be extremely hot and arid, while this other one will be very cold and covered with ice. It is a great place of balance. Well, the archangel, impressed by God's work, then pointed to a spot in the center of a large land mass and said, What will be there, Lord? Ah, said God, that's Iowa. The most glorious place on earth. There are beautiful lakes and rivers and sunsets and rolling hills and the people from Iowa are going to be modest and intelligent and humorous and they're, they're going to be found traveling the world. They'll be extremely sociable, hardworking and high achieving and they'll be known throughout the world as diplomats and the carriers of peace. Well, Michael gasped in wonder and admiration but then, then proclaimed, Lord, what about balance? Uh, you said this would be a place of balance. And God wisely said, well... Wait until you see the knuckleheads I put around them in Illinois, Wisconsin, Missouri, Nebraska, and Minnesota. So, there you go. And if you're a guest from Minnesota, we're just kidding. We're just sort of messing around. (laughs) I've been teaching about the justice of God, and I started last week talking about the justice of God. We've been talking about what is God like. And we're looking at the attributes of God. And the more you get to know God, the more able you are to walk with Him in faith. And so we've talked about how God, first of all, is good. He is a good God. And he, uh, and then He is faithful. We've talked about the faithfulness of God. And then He is a God of great wisdom. He is a wise God. Um, I think one of the, the great points that comes from the knowledge of the holy by A.W. Tozier is the point of def- defining the wisdom of God. God bringing about in His wisdom the very best possible end by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest period of time. This is our God. He's a God of intense wisdom. And then last week we began to talk about the justice of God. And I found that I had sort of put together almost too much material. And so I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a part two here today as we finish up on the justice of God. We'll talk later about the sovereignty of God. We'll talk about the mercy of God. And then I want to finish and talk about probably the most wonderful thing about God First uh, John says, God is love. And we're going to talk about the love of God. And so, before I teach, could I, could I just say, Holy Spirit, would you now at this time come, as you've come to lead us in worship, now as we open our Bibles, Lord, will you teach us today? Dear friend, come and open our hearts. Gift me, Holy Spirit, with the gift of teaching. Uh, but Lord, let us, our, our full attention be upon this wonderful Jesus that we love. And we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, before I teach, I just I felt like I needed to share this with you. Uh, last night in our Saturday night service, uh, as the service began, two young men walked into our service 
and uh, they're really handsome young men, but they sort of stuck out because they were both wearing black suits, uh, black suit, black tie. And, and uh, so, you know, in this culture, in our church, you know, suits and ties kind of stand out. And they sat together. And then I looked at them a little closer as I was teaching. You know, you, you're sort of looking at people. And I noticed there were these little sort of pins on the side of their, uh, on, on their lapels. And uh, they, they were uh, Mormon missionaries and um, two young men. And so later, some of our people began to visit with them, thanking them for coming to our service. And they said, you know, what, what was it that brought you here to the, to the Heartland Vineyard? And they said, you know, our job is to go around and knock, knock on doors, door to door, and begin to talk to people about uh, our version of the gospel, you know. Um, and, but they said, you know, as we have gone around this city, we have run into so many people who say, we go to the Heartland Vineyard Church, and we have been so struck by the enthusiasm they have in their relationship with God that we had to come here and find out what's going on. So I, I want to... <laughs> Can I say, good church. Good church. That's good. And uh, you are lights in the midst of darkness. And so I I just really bless you this morning. Um, I want to talk about justice here. Justice is rooted in the idea that everybody is going to get exactly what they deserve. That is the basic premise of all justice. People get what they deserve. And though we live in a fallen world, it's been marred and scarred by sin... We live in a place where justice is perverted. Uh, justice doesn't happen the way we think it should happen now. But the fact is, in the end of days, God will completely balance the scales. Because God is a God of justice. And uh, as, as history rolls past, you know, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 21, uh, the, the great white throne judgment will take place. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. But as history moves beyond that point, God will come and reestablish the perfection of His creation. The world that we live in right now is not the world that God intended. God will come and restore creation back to its original paradise. And at that point, everything will be placed back into balance. And there will be perfect justice because our God is a God of perfect justice. Justice is everybody gets exactly what they deserve. And so we began to talk about how justice is revealed by God through the natural order of his creation. We talked about that last week, how creation speaks of justice. We talked about how in nature is very clear there is cause and effect, which speaks of justice. When when the uh, snow falls, everything stops growing. Everything goes into dormancy. The ground freezes. And that is the cause. The effect is all life stops. That's the effect. But then uh, when the snow melts, and by the way, I hear we have a heat wave coming uh, at the end of this week. It's going to be in the 40s. And so we'll we'll probably be out playing golf here by Friday. That'll be awesome. Uh, Joe said I'll be there. But when when the snow melts and uh, the the temperature's warm, that that is the cause. The effect is life begins to spring up out of the ground. And we see this over and over and over again, year after year. So this speaks of the justice of God, cause and effect. There is an accountability that even nature is under in the justice of God. And the whole idea where God says, I am not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, again speaks of God as just. And then we talked about how justice is also something that has been written on the hearts of all mankind, whether they be Christian or not. 
Everybody has a deep sense of right and wrong. Before I became a Christian, I, I've been a Christian now for about 35 years. I came to the Lord in uh, April of 1972. But even before that time, I knew right and wrong. There was something in me. I understood, and so do you. Uh, and the Bible speaks of this in Romans chapter 1. God says, I've placed justice, rightness, and understanding of right and wrong in all men's heart so they are without excuse. So, so we all understand right and wrong. I get such a kick out of my little granddaughter, Maisie, Maisie Grace, uh, you know, and she's 15 months old, and she has, at this point in her life, a deep sense of right and wrong. She will go towards something that we have told her no, I don't know how many times, and as she walks toward it, she will look over her back and smile. And it's like, I know what I'm doing, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so, in every person's heart, there is a sense, there is a deep understanding of right and wrong. But then God's justice is also revealed through the Bible as God is spoken of as judge. And where there is a judge, there is justice. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23 says, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God. And then he says this, The judge of all men. God is judge. And then 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, and then he says this, The righteous judge will award me on that day. And we're going to talk about that day in just a minute. But biblically, as you study through the Bible and look for the word judge, you will find God spoken of hundreds and hundreds of times as the judge of all men. And where there is justice, there must be a judge in which justice originates and then justice is enforced. So we see the role of God as judge in the Bible very clearly. Justice seen through natural order and creation, written on the human heart, God's role as judge here is the fourth thing, and I want to spend a little more time on this one, and is this is the supreme way of God demonstrating His justice, the cross. The cross. The cross of Jesus. Let me, let me read to you uh, Romans chapter 3, and if you have your Bibles there, I would so encourage you to find your own place in this particular passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. This is right before, before this, God, uh, Paul has... Uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written that the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And now he begins to talk about the way God in his justice deals with the sin of man. And he says this, Romans 3.25, God presented him, Jesus, as a perfect, as a sacrifice of atonement Through faith in His blood. He did this, watch this now, to demonstrate His justice. The cross is a demonstration of the justice of God. He goes on and he says, Because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, let me draw some truth out of this passage of Scripture. The shedding of Jesus' blood upon the cross was justice. It was justice in action. It was God acting on who He is. He is a just God. He is is fair. He is holy. He is right. His nature is just. God is so consistent 
in his character to be fair and to be just, knowing himself establishing that the wages of sin is death. Therefore, because we've all fallen short, we've all sinned, there's no one, in fact, the Bible says our, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We've all fallen short. Therefore, the, the sentence upon our life, because we'd all sinned, was death. And the word death doesn't just mean that you quit breathing. It means an eternal separation from the life of God. That is death. It's biblical death. And so God says, I'm perfect and I'm holy and I cannot be approached by a people who are stained and marred and scarred by sin. I, I will have none of it. And so his justice, you know, he is so consistent in being fair. The consequences were death. But now God says, look, I'm not willing that any would perish. What we see here is a just God, but at the same time also a God who is filled with mercy and filled with love. And Jesus said, God the Father is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance and enter into life, abundance of life. And so God begins to resolve through His justice the dilemma that man was in. In fact, if you could jot this little phrase down, it so struck me as I read this in The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozier. Here it is. What God's holiness demanded. The holiness of God demands all of us to die, eternally be separated from God. What God's holiness demanded, God's love provided. God provides a way in which our sin can be dealt with. There is a price tag for our freedom. There is a payment that must be made for our sin. It's either my death or someone that would take my place. Someone that would receive my sin upon them. Someone who would absorb the wrath of God, the wrath that would justly be due me. He would absorb that wrath upon Himself and take my place so that I could have my ticket to freedom. And I'm telling you this morning, my friends, His name is Jesus. God cannot wink at sin. God does not wink at sin. We might wink at sin. We've been so numbed down in our culture. Uh, we, we just, and anymore, it's like, you know, violence is no big deal. It's, oh, well, you know, it's just sort of part of, part of stuff. And that's just the way it is. God does not wink at sin. God absolutely hates sin. There, there is, I don't think we quite understand the, the, the incredible hatred God has for sin as God looks upon the earth and He sees the mar and the scar and the brokenness and people's personalities completely deranged, people addicted to drugs and alcohol and marriages dissolved and children abused and just the, the brokenness and the hostility that, is, that has come, the violence that's been perpetrated upon the earth and all this sin just mounting up and mounting up and mounting up and the fierce anger of God just growing and growing and growing and because He is just, He must do something about this sin in order to bring men back into relationship with Him. They can't come back to Him the way they are. So He must determine to execute a plan and His plan was to send His Son, Jesus, fully God, because God would die upon the cross for people. And fully man, because it was men who sinned. And so Jesus comes so perfect, perfectly God, holy God, perfectly man, fully man, living his sinless life. And now as he suffers upon a cross, he comes 
to bring us freedom from sin. Because now God takes all the fierce wrath that he has against sin and he pours his wrath upon his son upon the cross and he turns his back. And as Jesus dies, we are forgiven. And God says, my justice is now satisfied. I'm a just God. My justice now is satisfied. And now you who receive Jesus, who open your lives up to this wonderful gift I've provided for you, now you can enter back into a full relationship with me because my, my justice has been satisfied. God hates sin. And so, in order for God to maintain His justice, while at the same time being loving and merciful, God allows His Son Jesus to absorb the sin of all people. God is angry at sin. I I want you to know, my friends, God is angry at sin. I I think we live in a day where sometimes we don't understand how angry God is towards sin. And when we sin, we don't sin against people as much. We sin against our God. I want to tell you, God is angry at sin. The idea of wrath, however, where God pours His wrath upon His Son, the whole idea of wrath is so different than anger. Anger is a feeling. Anger is something you feel inside. I'm sure... Most of you in this room have felt anger before. You know what anger is. What wrath is, however, is an act of justice that in holy, righteous anger to make whatever is wrong, right. And so when God, when the Bible talks about God pouring out His wrath upon His Son, it was the action God had to take to make what was wrong, right. And the only way that I could really sort of even sort of relate to the the idea of wrath would be to give a a little illustration is my own personal life and probably you have many of those in your own life i remember a time in my life where i was a high school senior i was walking out of our high school out of our locker room to go out onto the football practice field and as i walked out i saw my younger brother My, my brother dave is two years younger than i he was a sophomore i was a senior and i saw him sort of over pushed over by the side of the school building and there was this pretty good sized kid sort of towering over him and you could just see by the posture that this kid was really intimidating my little brother. And I I saw that and immediately there was anger. I mean, I just thought, oh look, you know what? I could pick on my brother because I'm his brother. I mean, I'm the older brother. I can do that. Don't, Don't mess with my brother. Now, so I felt anger. And then I began to move toward that situation and now there is beginning to come wrath. Okay, (laughs) And and as I got close to the situation, I saw this wet stuff sort of coming down off the forehead of my brother and down his face. And then it just occurred to me what had happened. This kid had spit in my brother's face and uh, there was the spit running down his face. And so I walked up to this kid. (laughs) Now, he was a junior. I was a senior. My brother's a sophomore. This kid's a junior. Uh, Now, I'm just under six foot. This guy was probably more like maybe 6'1 or 6'2, but I was a senior. And I was the captain on the football team, and I had some things on my letter jacket. And, uh, and, and he knew that. And I walked up to him, and I said, did you spit in my brother's face? And he, he looked at me, he looked down at me. And he sort of back, he sort of, yeah, yeah. And I said, if you ever, ever intimidate my brother again, or ever, spit in his face, I will kick your... And then you can finish the sentence. 
I wasn't a believer yet. I wasn't a Christian. But probably even now as a Christian, I might you because that was wrath. I was trying to move in anger and make something that was wrong right. And when God saw the sin of all mankind and the brokenness in people's personalities, brokenness in their relationships, brokenness in their marriages and in their families, God moves in wrath. But I am so, so thankful that He didn't move in His righteous anger against me and against you. He poured His wrath out upon His Son so that we could come back into relationship with Him. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust. I'm the unjust. He's the just. He says He died once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. And so, God's justice is satisfied on the cross. This is the great demonstration of the justice of God. Here's another way that God reveals His justice. And that is the promise of eternal reckoning and retribution for all people. There's a promise in the Bible that everyone will get exactly what they deserve. There is the promise of future reckoning and retribution for all people. Now let me talk about, just for a moment, the first place where that judgment will take place for Christians. Because there's going to be a place of reckoning. Now, let me give you just some ideas here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is teaching the church of Corinth, who, by the way, is really broken by, uh, they're, they're still pretty carnal, they're pretty sinful, uh, they're, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing, they're misusing, um, they're, they're abusing the Lord's Supper, they're misusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're not treating each other right, there's division in the church, they're angry at each other, they're biting at each other. Sounds a little bit kind of like the American church sometime. But Paul is trying to explain to them, look, the moment you opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, at that moment your sin was judged and you were found not guilty. You are not guilty. In fact, you are now called the righteousness of God in Christ. And God has poured into you the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you are now a holy people. You are a royal priesthood, Peter says. You're a peculiar people because you're a people for God's possession. You're different than the rest of the world. But now he begins to talk to them about the fact that because they're struggling to just live a life consistent with the will of God, he says, look, gang, there's going to be a time where every Christian is going to stand before the person of the Lord Jesus at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. And at that point... There is going to be an audit taken. There's going to be an inventory taken of how did you spend your life once you became a Christian? And he's he's saying, look, this isn't a judgment for sin. This isn't trying to determine are we going to go to heaven or not. That was determined the moment you opened up your heart to Jesus Christ. And and your, your heart was ready for heaven and you were fully and forever forgiven. But the fact is, this is a judgment of how now you live your life. And, I, and I, my, my friends, as your pastor, I just, I just want you to be aware. There will be a time when we stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give an account of the way we lived our life. See, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about verse 8. Remember the verse, for by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And it says, it's not by works 
It's not by works. You're not working your way to heaven. It's not by works. It says, lest anyone should boast. You can't boast about your salvation. God gives it to you as a gift. It's a free gift of God. However, he goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and he says, So now, at the moment that you receive Jesus into your heart as a brand new creation in Christ, God now has prepared things for you to live out in this life. And he wants you to live in a way that really honors the person of Jesus Christ. And he wants you to live and be a good steward of all the resources that God pours into your life. When Jesus came into my heart, he brought to me the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are gifting in the Holy Spirit that God has placed in my life and in your life. Every one of us, the Bible says, has been given the gifts of the Spirit. God has also given us abilities and talents and resources and relationships. And, and, there, and Jesus is saying, look, those are mine. Those really aren't yours. You, you might think they're yours, but they're really mine. I've given them to you for a time. I've, I've given you X amount of time. I've given you X amount of resources. I've, I've poured into you gifting, ability, talents, experiences. Now, I want you to use all of that to bring honor to me and to live in a manner that is really worthy of the call that I placed on your life as my kids. And so there's going to be a time where Jesus will say, how do you think you did? Let's look at it. And our whole life, from the moment we became a Christian until the end, will be opened up. And there are going to be things, I think, that we're going to see. In fact, uh, well, I'll get to the Scripture in just a minute. There are going to be some things that we see that we did with the right motives, with the right heart. We did it not to get the approval of men. We did it not to get strokes. We did it not because we wanted to get power and position and I'm going to climb the ladder and get ahead of it. There are going to be things that we did and we didn't have those motives. We had the right motives. We had the right heart. We wanted to help people. We wanted to love people. And we wanted to honor Jesus. And in that, Jesus says, at that point, at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to reward you. You're going to get rewarded. And it's going to be a good time. I mean, God is going to open his heart up and say, listen, through my son Jesus, I'm going to give you rewards that you're actually going to use now in heaven the rest of your life that will have implications throughout eternity for your life. Okay, so, but at the same time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, but some people will sense loss. And I think the loss, and I, I, don't, I don't quite know quite exactly how to, how to draw this out, even I've been meditating, thinking about this, but here's what I think. I think there are going to be some rewards that I will receive. Because I think there have been some things in my life that I've done with right heart, right motive. I wanted to honor the Lord Jesus. I was listening to the voice of God. I was simply following after His lead and I was walking in faith. I think there will be reward. I think the loss that I'll feel is to become so aware of the incredible opportunities and resources that were at my disposal that I didn't even tap into. Because I was so sort of focused on self that I missed this great opportunity to really operate fully and function fully as a son of the living God. And I think that's where we're going to feel lost. Now, let, let me read to you just a couple verses. Uh, it says, uh, let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So in other words, while we're in the body, let, let's call it now, right now, there's going to be reward for the things that we do, or we're going to sense loss. 1 Corinthians 
It says, by the grace of God that he has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. The word build, he's using a building analogy. He's talking about living life. He's saying we ought to be careful how we live. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D, that is the judgment seat of Christ, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work, that is, his life. And if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, if you take just a little bit, t- bit of time and think about the judgment seat of Christ and actually meditate on the judgment seat of Christ, I believe it will actually make you far more aware of the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life and the desire that you have really deep down inside to obey the, the will and the Word of God. And there will be a power that is there for you to say, Jesus, I'm simply willing to live my life however you want me to live it. I want to do what's right. There is nobility in your hearts, my friends. God, the Holy Spirit, living in you to empower you to live the life the way God wants you to live it. And as you meditate upon the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a day, and I want it for me, and I want it for my wife, and I want it for my family, and I want it for you. I want to stand there with you someday and hear Jesus say to you, a baby, you done good. Way to go. Now enter into the joy of my Father. I mean, I just want, I want to be a part of that. And, uh, and I don't want us to say, oh, Lord, you gave us so many opportunities. You opened up so much resource for us. And we just frittered it away because we were so focused on self. Well, that is the judgment seat of Christ. And my dear friends, I'm telling you, I, I don't want us to be unaware uh, of this whole thing because it's so important. See, we think some way that heaven is kind of like a socialistic society. Everybody gets the same of everything. You know, like we're all going to be sitting on the same size cloud drinking the same cup of iced tea, you know, strumming on the same size harp with the same size little wings. And I mean, this, people think that's the way. That's not heaven. We get to heaven. Life goes on. There will be work. There, there, will, be, uh, there will be reigning and ruling with Jesus forever. And so the rewards that He gives us are going to be in line with the way we live life right now in this body. But it will have eternal implication. For your life. Therefore, I think as believers, we have to just think soberly. How am, I, how am I using my life? What am I spending it on? And so the Lord says, listen, there is a place where it's not just you, you, you come to Jesus, you get your ticket punched. Great, I'm going to heaven. Awesome. Your ticket gets punched so you can gain entry into the real game. And that game is stewardship and management of all that God gives to your life. And so, if you'll think about that and pray about that, I'm telling you, God will move powerfully, I believe, in your life. Here is the second way that God reveals His justice. And I don't have a lot of time here, but let me give it to you as quick as I can. There is an eternal reckoning, a retribution for unbelievers who have rejected the person of Jesus Christ. That at the end of their days, they have you know, taking their last breath and they are still shaking their fist in the face of God saying, I don't want none of you. I don't want you. And there is at that point a whole different 
judgment that will take place for folks that have shaken their fist in arrogance against God. Romans chapter 2 verse 5. It says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, which is in store for those who have rejected the Messiah, the gift of God. The sin offering, Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, John pictures, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and another another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, can I just say, uh, hell is really not a... A subject that's talked about an awful lot. But it really isn't a bad subject. It's a biblical subject. It might not fly real well today at Perkins as you sit around with your family and say, so what do you think about hell? I mean, that might not fly real well. But but to talk about hell and to understand there is a hell. Now listen, there are people who think that that some way everybody's going to be brought in. You know? Doesn't matter if you shook your face in the face of God. I mean, the, the Idi Amin's and the Hitler's and the Stalin's and Saddam Hussein's. I don't know what their life was like in their last breath. I don't know. I mean, if, if Adolf Hitler, who, who killed millions and millions of people, if in his last breath he cried out, Jesus, help me, I believe he received the mercy of God. So I don't know. I just know this, that in God's justice... He is going to get exactly what he deserves. And this, this notion that, that some way everybody sort of gets, gets there in the end is called universalism. I, I, I'm telling you, my friends, it is, first of all, not biblical. As if, you know, Saddam Hussein shaking his fist in the face of God and he dies. And now, some way in the end, God makes it all right. And we're all, you know, we're sitting there with Saddam and we're, you know, drinking Diet Coke in heaven and everything's cool. No, no, there is something about the justice of God where everybody gets exactly what they deserve. And God so honors, listen to me now, God so honors the dignity of every person's choice that he says, if you don't want to be around me, I'm going to create a place where you don't have to be around me forever. (laughs) And that's called hell. You, you want to shake your fist in my face? Listen, I honor that. I respect that decision. Therefore, there will be a place for you where you can shake your fist in my face forever. And it's called hell. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who say to God, thy will be done. 
Lord, I know you're not willing that any would perish. I know you don't want me to die in my sin. And therefore, I receive the sin substitute in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. There are people who say to God, thy will be done. And then there are also people who God says to them, thy will be done. You want to reject me? You want to live on your own? You want to see if you can get good enough to get to heaven? Thy will be done. You do it your way. But, but if I could just appeal to you today, for those of you that are here, and in a, in a group this size, there must be numbers of you who maybe have never ever opened up your heart to the sin substitute that God offers in His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and I'm telling you, when it comes to judgment, we don't want fair. We want mercy. I suddenly realized that I was so lost in my sin that the fair thing for God to do was to allow me to perish in my sin. And I said, Lord, I don't want fair. I want, I want your mercy. And therefore, I receive your son. And it was at that moment that God gave to me right standing with him. Because all of his wrath had been poured out upon his son. And, and if you're here today, my, my dearest friends, listen, I, I'm appealing to you. Open your heart to the sin substitute, this great Jesus, Messiah, who has come to take away your sin, to absorb your sin, so that you can be right with God. So I wonder if we could stand together. Could we please? I want to ask just for a moment, could... If, if you're okay with this, could you, could you all just shut your eyes just for a second? And um, I, I want to pray a prayer that would some way, you know, speak of what some of you may want to pray in your heart here this morning. And, and you might say to me, you know, Dan, I, I don't know if I quite understood it all, and maybe I don't understand it all still yet, but I, I see it more clearly than I've ever seen it before, that in, in the justice of God, I really do need a Savior. And so, I would just so encourage you to just pray a prayer that would sound something like, Jesus, I open the door of my heart and I need you to come in and, and I thank you that you have forgiven me of my sin and, and I receive you today as my Messiah, as my Savior. Lord, I, I, I don't want to stand before God without you. I want to know that you're in my heart. Therefore, I have eternity waiting for me. And I have the Holy Spirit now living in my heart. I receive you today as my Savior. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder just for a second, could we just keep our eyes closed? I just wonder, could I ask, is, did there anybody, and I, you know what? I'm not going to ask you to come forward, okay? I'm just not going to do that. But I wonder, as people's eyes are closed, would you hold your hand up if you just said, Dan, I did pray that prayer right now, and I... I'm so thankful now that Jesus has come into my heart. There is one. Somebody up there. Yes. Yep. There's. Well, now see, now there's too many for me to count. Hot dog. Hot dog. This is the great work of the kingdom. I, I want to pray for you today. And I want to just bless your heart. And I want to say, Father, in Jesus' name, every person here that raised their hand... Or, it had to be about 15 people that I saw. 
Lord Jesus, will you now, in faithfulness to your word, put your arms around them, let them know that you love them, assure them of the forgiveness that they have in you, help them to enjoy the fullness of forgiveness, that they don't have to hold shame and guilt any longer, that you love them, you care for them. And so today I bless them, each one of them. And I even pray in the days to come, they might even consider going public with their confession and being baptized as we saw numbers of people do today. Bless, O Lord, these new sons and daughters of yours today. And we love you and we bless you and we praise you for your great mercy. In Jesus' name.